You are listening to Crawl Space on the Crawl Space Media Network. If you like this show, you'll love Missing, which is also hosted by us. Missing started as Missing Maura Murray, and now it continues raising awareness for all missing people. And we also have an entire network of shows you'll love. Check them out at crawlspace-media.com. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing way better than I deserve. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing great as well, Lance. This is a, a wonderful conversation that we have with two new friends, Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken. Exactly. They are friends that were brought to us by way of mutual friend uh, and peer in the industry, uh, Dame Maggie Freeling. She... Uh, had worked with David Suave Gonzalez on the popular podcast Suave. He wanted his own show where he could communicate to people the importance of reforming the criminal justice system, really looking into uh, juveniles that have been imprisoned. And Maggie also connected him with Kevin McCracken. It was this whole fortuitous series of events that brought us all together. So Death by Incarceration is their show, and it is one of the newest members of the Crawl Space Media family, we're proud to say. Absolutely. It's a great show. They've been getting great guests, and uh, this conversation is really all about them and about their show and about their mission. What are they doing with this show, curiously titled Death by Incarceration? And Death by Incarceration is a term that is used because... Although there's no death penalty, if you're put in prison at 16 or 17 years old and you're sentenced to 50 or 60 years, that's basically death by incarceration. And this is a show that really puts a highlight, puts a, a spotlight on the fact that the United States is the only nation where a minor can be sentenced to die by incarceration before turning 18. The only nation in the world that can do that. And when you think about that, like a minor can't vote, they can't serve in the military, they can't drink or smoke, but they can go to prison for the rest of their lives. This happened to Suave, and he was fortunate enough and smart enough to work his way out of the system, and now he's trying to do something better. And you mentioned the guests that they have on. The newest guest that they have on is a man named Eric Riddick. Listen to this interview. This man was incarcerated for almost 30 years, 29 years, for a murder that he says he didn't commit. And by all accounts, the evidence is pointed to the fact that he did not commit this murder. This is not an uncommon story, though. This is a really tragic thing that's going on in the prison system. This interview is incredible when you hear this guy's story and when you hear Suave and him talk about the system and talk about their time in and, and just the adjustments when you need to get out and figure out what to do with your life. It's a great show, Lance, and you can check out deathbyincarcerationpodcast.com, sort of a great uh, catch-all website for the project, and make sure to follow them on social media and follow them on your favorite podcast listening app. And be sure to head on over to crawlspace-media.com and check out all of the fine shows that are on the network. And Tim, I think it's time that we uh, get this announcement, speaking of the aforementioned Maggie Freeling. Oh my gosh, Lance, this is incredibly exciting. July 31st, 2021, we're going to be in Boston at the Wilbur Theater with Maggie Freeling, Dame Maggie Freeling, and Dames Patrick Hines and Jillian Pensavale. That's right. We are finally, after years and years and years of waiting and delaying, we are finally following up the live show that we did with them in Brooklyn, New York, we we did that how many years ago? That must have been in 2010 that we did that. It was at least, <laughs> it, was at least 10 years ago. I think it was October of 2019. It was October of 2019. It went so well. We scheduled two subsequent shows that were supposed to be in March in 2020. We all know how 2020 went. And we finally were able to, almost a year and a half later, schedule the reunion show at the historic and wonderful Wilbur Theater in Boston. Real easy. You can go to thewilbur.com, 
to secure your tickets, which I imagine will sell out pretty quickly because Patrick and Jillian don't not sell out. <laughs> right. Of course, they're true crime obsessed. That is their show name, and they cover documentaries on their podcast, which is comedic, hilarious, actually. And it's never at the expense of the victims, but they covered the disappearance of Maura Murray, the docuseries investigating the disappearance of Maura Murray that Lance and I were both a part of. And so the show is July 31st at 7 p.m. at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. And for anyone who bought tickets to the original Boston show because of the venue change, your tickets will be refunded, and then you will have exclusive advance access to purchase tickets to the new show. You should have received two emails, one confirming the refund and one with the link to purchase tickets. All right, we will see you July 31st at the Wilbur. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to follow and listen to Death by Incarceration. It's a great show. Welcome to Crawl Space, Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Suave just got back from New York, so I'm sure he's got stories. I mean, you know, promoting, 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 and um, just spreading the word about the show. That's by incarceration every Tuesday. Don't miss it. Beautiful. This, this, everybody. That's that's me giving uh, these two gentlemen a round of applause for putting together these interviews that literally floor me every single time I listen to it. The, the next interview comes up and I'm like, how is it going to be better? And it's better. The show is incredible. So every everybody who does not know, it's Death by Incarceration. It is created and hosted by David Suave Gonzalez from the Suave podcast and Kevin McCracken from Adulting Well. And a great company also that he co-owns. Co-owns, right? Social Imprints. Yeah, You're the co-owner? Okay. Co-owner. And it's, uh, that, that's got a great, uh, great community activism uh, angle to it. You, you two put together this show, and, and uh, we spoke on the Get Vocal Night about a month or so ago, and that went really well. But we spoke about like the origin of your relationship uh, that night. But to remind everybody, how did the two of you meet? How did this happen? How did, how did this amazing show come, come to be? I get a phone call. I'm at home one day. Swabby podcast came out. So I'm getting phone calls from people, strangers that I don't know, cousins that I never met. I heard the podcast. So I get a phone call from my great friend, Maggie. And she's like, hey, I got a friend of mine in San Francisco that want to meet you. And I'm like, oh, my God, who is he and what is going on? And she said, no, he wanted to do a podcast with you. And I was like, really? Okay. But then I asked her a little bit about Kev. Who was he? he? She said, he's a little crazy like you. Um, he talks a lot like you. And I think y'all be great together. And I was like, well, if he's a little crazy like me, and he's crazy enough to want me to host a show with him, get on my number. Um, Kevin called me one day, and I'm, we talked for a few minutes, and I was like, I'm in. He didn't even have to sell it. I'm in. Um, let's do this. Uh, a week later, we recorded. We just contacted a bunch of people. Uh, some of them I knew. Some of them, you know, I had some relationship. Got on the nerves in my passing in crossings in Philadelphia. But I know that when you have a platform and you give out a microphone to people, no matter if you get on the nerves or not, they're going to come talk because they all want a platform. So that's how we got started. And, you know, it's amazing to to me that Kev is in San Francisco and I'm in Philadelphia, but yet, I mean, it feels like we work in, in the same place, same space. And that's the beauty of it, that there's no big Kev and big swab or little swab, big Kev. It's, it's an equal partnership. We're doing this because we want to spread the word and the message that uh, we still need reform in the system, no matter how many Chester deans we have, how many Larry Crashes we got, we still have to reform the system. We still have to get the people a look in the inside of what really go on. Because 90% of the prisoners are coming home to them communities, to your community, get involved now before they come home. So that's what we're doing with death by incarceration. And that's how we 
we met. And hopefully soon, July 17, Philadelphia, tri-state area. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be epic. It's going to be historic. Live, death by incarceration, Philadelphia. It's going down. So on, on my end, I heard the Suave podcast, and I saw Suave on a Get Vocal with Maggie, actually. And I don't even remember who she was talking to that night. I think it was the Georgetown um that that team from georgetown that does the 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 wrongful conviction work and um suave was on and so i was listening to the podcast and i i had had this in the back of my head this idea at some point i wanted to do something around criminal justice i just wasn't sure what exactly and i heard suave on that and then i listened to his show or the show about him on on futura media and i was like i feel like i know this guy you know like and i I've, i've worked in in reform and fair chance employment for 20 years and my own problems with the law and with addiction. And I just took a chance and called Maggie and I'm like, Hey, can you give me Suave's number? I got an idea and I just want to see if he's interested because he, he would be the perfect co-host for this. And I feel like he's going to bring so much to the table for content and just, you know, his, his experience and, um, and, you know, his experience runs deeper than I knew every time we talk which is, you know, it's nice. It's refreshing. It's like, I never know what I'm going to get when we get into an interview because someone will say something and it'll trigger a memory for him. And all of a sudden we're off and running on a topic that I didn't even know we were going to talk about. So, you know, it's been a really interesting ride and he's right. We're both crazy. I mean, you guys, I know you have inside jokes about us over there already. So, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, I'm pushy. I'm a little, I'm a little obsessive compulsive. You know, I think I've called Jason three times today already. Um, you know, cause we got the, the chase of Bodine episode coming out tomorrow. Um, and I'm picky about how I want things to sound. And so suave, so it, it works out really well. I mean, we, we hear and see kind of the same things. He'll, he'll call me with his list of notes. I'm like, I already have that written down. He'll hold up the paper. I'm like, look at that. I already had that, you know? So it's, it's been a good partnership so far. And, you know, one of the things I want to say to you guys too, is thanks for having us on, but thanks for having us on the network you know, and doing such hard work so quickly to get this show up and running because, you know, I feel like we're, we're Suave and I are constantly in like crisis mode, not, not like things are going to melt down in our lives, but like this situation with mass incarceration in the United States is a crisis. We have 4% of the world's population and 22% of the world's incarcerated population in this country. That is a problem. And if, you know, people aren't willing to talk about it, nothing's going to change. And so we're, we're coming forward with incredibly raw interviews with people. We don't script them. I do always have questions that I walk in with because I, I do research on who we're talking to, but we just let them go wherever they go. And the result, as you guys have said, I feel like our interviews are getting better. We're getting better as interviewers. You know, we're reading each other better. We're not cutting each other off as much. And, um, you know, I feel like the, the questions that I would have is, part of the general public we're asking and we're getting to ask of people like chase of bodine larry krasner lieutenant governor john fetterman you know we're we've got that eric riddick interview eric riddick got got out of prison after almost 30 years on a crime he claims he never committed we are one of the only um interviews that he gave for anything smaller than a network a large network we are the only podcasters he talked to he called me directly. I, I know him for 30 years. And he was like, if I'm giving ABC an interview, I got to give y'all an interview. He said, when you want it. I said, right now. I called Kev. And we did it right on the spot. And that's the beauty about um, death by incarceration, that when we go X, we're doing a new way of podcasting on Crossface. Let's, let's put that. And, and I appreciate that Crossface give us that opportunity. It's a new way of podcasting. We're breaking all the rules of podcasts. Whatever rules is out there, we're not following them. <laughs> you know, when we call our guests and we ask them, can you come on the show? And they'd be like, when? we be like, now. Because we understand that if you give them a week or two weeks, it's going to be, well, my schedule, I had to cancel it, hold up, send me another date. So we, can you come on the show now? Yes, I care. Put the recorder on. Let's go. And that's the way we manage. And believe it or not, that's the way we've been able to get these interviews um, for our, for for death by incarceration. A lot of these interviews don't have two, three weeks of waiting. This is like, get the phone, get on the phone, get the Zoom, and come on, we're doing this show now. That's why we always say it's a new way of podcasting. And um, 
whatever idea that people have of podcasting, listen to a show. You know, we want everybody to know that you could do it too. You know, if me and Ken doing a podcast, you know, a juvenile lifer, a former heroin addict, after, you know, like coming together to pull something like this and then the list of guests that we've been able to get. And it's not even, I ain't even seen nothing yet. We just getting started. <laughs> it's impressive. We just getting started with our guests, right? And our topics, because I feel that as long as we have, Mass incarceration in the United States, death by incarceration will be in business. Yeah. And both of you said so much there to to unpack and just going back on it a little bit. You said that you two felt like you were in a bit of a um, crisis mode and not because personally there's a crisis, but because there is a nationwide crisis with the with the system. And that needs to be fixed and there needs to be a sense of urgency. So this this um, speed at which the show operates is because you like you said you can't wait any longer if you wait you don't get what you need to get done and the only thing that we've said outside of our group meetings about the two of you is that there's a new pace at which we operate and that is at the speed of McCracken and that was um that that was the only that was the only uh, nicknames <laughs> that we've come up with but in in all seriousness it's because of the circumstances that the mission of DBI is, is about like, that is why we have to move so fast because your mission is to create some sort of reform to create change and to make, make the system better and change lives. And to the guest list, it's impressive to see your guests and then uh, like a little bit of research and go, Oh, Oh, they got that person. Oh, Oh, they got Larry Krasner. Oh, Oh, they, they got the, the DA of San Francisco. Oh, you know, like, and it's always like, Oh yeah, I just walked up to him and asked. Yeah, how did how did that happen? I mean, these these are impressive guests, and you and you mentioned like let's let's do the interview now, and yeah, these people are are people are very busy, very busy. Um, so good for you guys in getting these interviews. But how did you do it, Chessa Bodine? He's a DA of San Francisco. How, how did you guys get Larry Krasner as well? I mean, listen, man, I'm in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, it's not really a big city, so I travel in public transportation. Thanks to um, SEPTA, I'm, I'm, I'm shouting you out. Um, so, you know, I know the spots where these people hang out at. I know where they drink coffee at. You know, so I pop up, like, listen, man, I've been trying to talk to you. You want to swap? I need an interview. When you want it, I need it now. Well, I, can, I can't give it to you now. I'll give it to you Monday. Before he even say Monday, I got McCracken on the phone at the speed of McCracken. Send him the sent, send him the, um, the Zoom. So before I even leave that spot, I want to make sure you got the Zoom and the time for Monday. And then I'm going to track you down. And that's how we get these interviews. You know, I think that with this topic and what's going on across the country, right, they understand that any platform is beneficial to them. Any platform that we offer, especially now that it's election season. You know, now, you know, anything, you put a mic under them, with a credible network behind you, they're going to talk to you. Same thing with Fetterman, same thing with Craston, same thing with Bodine, same thing with Nicole Flitwood. You know, these are these are high-profile people that need to be in the public. That's how they do their business. They need to be in the public. We're offering them a space. Like, if you come on our show, this demographic might see you. And believe it or not, Krasner is... Uh, a good individual, but he also lacked that communication with the Black and Hispanic community in Philadelphia. So for us to give him that platform, they take him directly to that community, which is the community that makes sure he get voted in. He's, he's not going to say no. He might say no after he win, but during the election, he's not going to say no to us. Plus, we cross face. They believe me when when we tell them we are on CrossFace, they Google it. They know where they're coming on. They know what they come. They know what they're signing up to when they come to our show. As far as Chase Bodine goes, I I know him. I was a supporter of his when he ran for district attorney in San Francisco, and I've done a lot of work in the city of San city and county because it's one thing around uh, fair chance employment. So a lot of the the people he was at the process he was at the DA or the 
public defender's office before he went over to get elected district attorney. So people know me that are progressive in the city from the work that we're doing at social imprints. So there's, you know, there's sort of a known quantity there. And the fact of the matter is he's facing a recall. So, you know, when you're, when you're in those kind of situations, any good press, you know, you're going to take, um, he's also going to be part of our live event in Philadelphia. So he can't fly out, but he's going to do, he's going to come in on video for at least one of the two recording sessions that we're doing live at mural arts, um, in Philadelphia on the 17th of July. So, you know, we're, and we're asking Fetterman and Larry Krasner back to that as well. So, you know, uh, hopefully this interview will come up and they'll get a little more pressure to say yes. Cause I've been, that's the other thing is I'm relentless as you guys probably already know relentless. You know, if you even give me a hint of a yes, I'm going to just keep emailing calling you until you give me a time and a date. So, you know, it's, it's, that's, and that's what I've learned how to do through sales for many years. So it's, it's just, you know, you just got to apply the things, you know, to what you're doing. And um, I mean, this has just been, it's been an incredible experience for me. These are some of the people that I actually really enjoy listening to anyway, to get to ask them like direct questions about their policies and, you know, and Suave is just not, there's no, there's no filter. So we get people on that say, oh, I didn't do that. Suave spent enough time in prison to know how to sniff out bullshit. So he will, you know, if somebody's even kind of lying or leaving something out of the story, he gets it out of them, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing I love about his interview skills, because, you know, he looks like he's just sitting back, not listening. And all of a sudden he comes back with this question. That's just like, holy crap. I didn't even notice that going on in the conversation. Like this person repeated the same thing twice, but they said one word different. Suave's got it, you know? And, um, you know, it really, you know, putting people's feet to the fire is, is I think in this business, a good thing, you know, you, we get, we just get honest interviews out of people and, um, you know, again, we're still honing our skills. It may be less raw at some point, but you know, I hope not. I hope not. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be like everybody else podcast out there. We're not, when you listen to us, if you listen to every episode we have, it's a cold, hardcore opening. Is we're not trying to be, you know, if you want to listen to us, listen to us. We would love to have you listen to us. But if you don't, it don't matter, right? It's not the conversation is not for you, right? If you don't, right? But I feel that we need to be ourselves. We need to talk to the people that talk like us, walk like us, breathe like us. We're not trying to impress middle class America to just listen to these um. um bullshit podcasts out there and they feel good we trying to tell you that there is a problem in america and it's called death by incarceration the second pandemic that's been going on and nobody's messing up with that right we are telling you that if we don't cover these issues right now on our show they will go unnoticed people will die in prison you have innocent people in prison that the only media and the only coverage that they have is us you know and Believe it or not, McCracken and Gonzalez are way better than some of these attorneys out there conducting these investigations. It may not seem like, but every guest that comes to our show, we research them. We're not going to ask you a question that we don't already know the answer to. We just want to hear what you got to say. You you raised a uh, interesting point where you said the show is not for a certain type of person because it is tackling a very heavy topic. But the two of you approach it in such a energetic and uh, enthusiastic way. It doesn't feel as heavy as the the subject matter, and and that's beautiful because it's it keeps a heavy topic very listenable. But I have a question about that section of the population that you said: if it's not your show, then you don't have to listen. And you t- then you speak about mass incarceration, and it's a epidemic. What do you respond to people with when they say, "Why should why should I care?" about the people that are in prison that I don't know who they are. Why should I care? Because to the media, when the media perpetuate mass incarceration, they put black faces and the brown faces up there. But when you take the media away and you go inside these prisons, you know what you see? A whole bunch of white, poor people they're suffering the same injustice as black and browns are. That's why you should care because today it could be me. But tomorrow it could be your son, your grandkid, your nephew, your husband, your daughter, or your wife. That's what I tell them. Like, don't do it for me. 
do it for them. Because if you are poor and white in the criminal justice system, you are getting the same treatment or even worse because you know better, according to the system, that, than a black or a brown person. And that's the fact. I know plenty of white guys, plenty of white guys from Kensington that because they were from Kensington, they received more time than the average white guy from Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. And that's the fact. That's why you should care. I, I think to, to tag on to that, because of the amount of people that we have incarcerated, it, it does touch your life. You may not know it, but when we have people being released into the community, they're coming to your community in some form or another. They're either, they're either working at a business that you go to or they're not, or, you know, depending on what has happened while they're in prison and whether or not they've, they've dealt with their, whatever the issues were that brought them there in the first place. And I'm not talking about people that are wrongfully convicted. I'm talking about people that are actually convicted of crimes they committed. If we're not doing the work to actually rehabilitate and give individuals oftentimes a first chance at life, you know, they're coming back at some point to your community especially low level offenders. And it, it generally gets, the trauma gets worse generally when you go to prison. As Suave can also speak to going in at 17 years old. You know, so we're, if, if somebody says that mass incarceration does not touch their lives. They lie. I would beg they to lie. differ. <laughs> they yeah. lie. Yep. You know, they lie. They, you know why? Because I say it is because whether you know somebody in prison or don't, your tax dollars are funding this epidemic caught mass incarceration so it affects you in every way in every aspect of life it affects you if you're wondering why you're paying all this money to keep non-violent offenders in prison then then you go there you go it, it, it's affecting you you know if you're wondering why a uh, 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 little little bobby from down the block came home and he went in for smoking a joint which is legal now, but they're still locking people up in certain states for smoking weed if you're on parole or if you're not. Not but little Bobby is mad and he's coming home to your community and he's dating your daughter, your granddaughter, your niece, and now you're mad because little Bobby want to steal from you. There you go. It's affecting you. You know, I always tell people, don't look at the problem. Take away the band-aid that America has put on this issue. And, and, and what you're going to see is a melting pot of people in there. It's not just black and brown. Black and brown is the target. It's the easy uh, group of people to talk about when it comes to mass incarceration. But when you go into them prisons, and I've been to plenty of prisons. I, I, I was on a prison tour, you know, if you want to call it that. I've been to the federal system and state prison. If you go in the federal system and you go to states like Oklahoma, you would be like, holy shit, what the heck going on here? Nothing but white guys in Oklahoma. That's why you should care. If you go to Kansas, right? And I've been in Leavenworth. You see nothing but white guys in there, right? And when you start talking to them, you know what you're going to find out? The one thing we all got in common, we all come from dilapidated neighborhoods and we all poor and, we, and none of us could afford a good defense. That's why you should care. And the title, Death by Incarceration, I think it's a great one. I love your logo as well. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, forgive the obvious question, I know we're, we're kind of talking about that on a large scope, but if someone asks you that directly, what does the title mean? What do you say? Oh, it's simple. I mean, it's the sentence of life without parole is death by incarceration. So, and, and oftentimes it applies to longer sentences depending on, so, you know, the state may say, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and give up the uh, mandatory minimum of life without parole for a juvenile, but we're still going to give them 200 years. That's still death by incarceration. You're going to come out of prison in a body bag. You're not coming out a free person at any time in your life. So your natural life is going to be over while you are still incarcerated. It's essentially a, 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 a euphemism for the death penalty, because we're just going to keep you locked up until you're dead, regardless. We're just not going to end your life early through lethal, lethal injection or in some states now firing squad, which is just unfathomable. And, and also the stresses that go on in prison will reduce a, a, a man or a woman's lifespan. So, you know, we're, we're talking about 
you know, you know, obviously Suave mentioned, you know, poor white people as well. But if you look at poor people as a whole, but especially poor black and brown men specifically, they have a shorter lifespan as it is on average. And you add that the stresses of prison, the lack of health care, the bad food, you know, et cetera, and so on, the lack of sleep the stress of living so close in proximity to other human beings with no privacy. I mean, the list goes on and on and on solitary confinement, which is still legal in most States. You know, we're, we're talking about a system which is really just set up when you, once you get into it to take your life, you know? And so whether, whether or not you believe in the death penalty or not, you know, if actually, if you don't believe in the death penalty, you shouldn't believe in life without parole because it's the same thing. It's, it is the same thing. They're just doing it in a way that's soft enough for people to handle, you know? So I think when we talk about death by incarceration, it's that simple fact. You are going to die in prison. Your natural life will be over before you leave these walls. In Pennsylvania, there are a lot of prisoners, a lot of prisoners serving life that would rather have the death sentence. And I'll tell you why. Because when you are sentenced to death row, you have a better quality of a defense, right, to get out of jail. Believe it or not, believe it or not, you know, there was time when I was serving life and I was like, then I wish I was on death row because at least I know that on death row, I will always have a lawyer to either to execute me or to I get that death sentence overturned to life. The minute you get life, you don't have no more defense, you know, and, 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 and to me, when we came up with the name death by incarceration, I thought about the thousands and thousands and thousands of people are left behind that's serving that type of time. I thought about my nephew that at the age of 17 was sentenced to 48 years. Probably would never get out of jail. You know, I thought about him and I thought about, and I told kid, what about if we do something death by incarceration? Right? Because when you mention death by incarceration, it automatically put us in the conversation. Period. Period. You know, when you go Google death or incarceration, you're going to see that logo behind you. You're going to see it. Right. And it's a representation of everything, of everything wrong in America. That's the, what death by incarceration means. You know, we have a president, right, that want to be put on a pedestal right now. But people forget that he was part of that crime bill in 1995. We have a vice president, which I hope she come on our show. That's from San Francisco. That at one time was against wrongful convictions. And we need to hold them accountable. We need to bring them on the show. If, they, if anybody in San Francisco know them, please contact us. We want to get with them. And ask them, you know, what are y'all going to do now that y'all are in a position to make a real change? What are y'all going to do now? You know, and I always say this. We got the, the Chesapeake Deans and the Crashners. Yeah, they let one or two people out run for conviction, but that shit is not enough. If you really want to make a change, you know what you do? You get a list of all your corrupt prosecutors and you reopen all their cases. Guess what? Everybody that was prosecuted under this guy, y'all all going to get a new trial. That's the only way you can fix those mistakes when you got a crooked system and a crooked DA's office that put wrongly convicted people in prison or overcharged poor people. Because it's not just the wrongful conviction. You got a lot of people that committed crime but still don't deserve 100, 200 years. They just got overcharged. And I know a bunch of people like that. Got people in California in prison for stealing pizzas and sodas, serving life, 25 to life. Type of system is that? Is this supposed to be America? Because if it is, this is not the America I want to be in. It's not. And then we talk about the parole system in certain states. You know, that's another death sentence. Like I went from serving death by incarceration to serving death on parole. Because guess what? I'm on parole till I die, till I go on a body bag. I can't get off this shit. I can't get off the system. So in some form, whether I'm in or out, I'm still caught up in that, in that same death by incarceration. 
Because whenever the parole, if the parole get up today and his wife tell him, you know why you can't get none, and he's pissed off, I could get violated. If he if he plays the lottery and don't hit it by one number, I'm locking all these motherfuckers up. I could get violated. If I say the wrong thing to him, I could get violated. If I have a better job than him that he don't like, he could say, you know what? I don't want you having that job. And if I don't listen to him, I could get violated. If I don't pay my parole fee monthly, I'll get violated. And that's for the rest of my life. Now, I would like to think that I'm going to live till I'm 100 years old, so that's like another 50 years. It's a lot of money I'm paying to the system for, <laughs> for this little bit of freedom. Because it's not even freedom, because wherever I go, I got to ask for permission. If I want to cross one county from where I'm at, I got to ask for permission. So I'm not really free. I'm just out in a different institution. The, the system, the prison system is jam-packed, right, with with individuals who are incarcerated for a number of reasons. Why is that the case? Why is is this is it big business? I mean, why is reform so hard and, and, and nearly impossible for something like this? But it's easy to lock somebody up and it's easy to make more room for someone, even though, I mean, you hear about it every single day. You read statistics about how many people are in prison in America, but they just keep locking people up. It's like gun control. Like how many times do you have to hear about people getting shot unnecessarily every day? Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And then it's like, well, do something about it. Why is it so hard? Is it just big business? What What is it? I'm going to let Kevin answer that question, but I say this. Uh, um, Correctional Corporation of America is a business. It's up in Wall Street. You can invest money in prisons then. You know, you can you could you could take a thousand dollars and buy a couple of shares and probably get rich in 10 years. Because every day they're building prison cells. You know, so it's a business. But I'm gonna let Cap answer that. Where where the prison system and policing really started, you know, we can do the history on this. It's not that difficult. It is an extension of slavery than Jim Crow, you know, and that's just a fact. I mean, I don't I'm not going to like, I don't need to lay out a case for this. It's easy to fall. Um, the other, the other thing is, is we live in a, in a society that has somehow come to believe that punishment is, you know, for whatever reason is the only answer. So, you know, essentially you do something wrong. We don't look at the root cause of that. We don't look at the fact that if you're, one of your one or both of your parents are incarcerated, you have a 70% chance of being incarcerated at some point in your life yourself. We don't look at those, the issues of what this system does to communities as a whole. You know, what people are interested in and what is beneficial to the powers that be and that want to stay in power is this punishment and using victims. And Suave can speak to this as well, using victims as, you know, poster children for punishment. So you've got a, a prosecutor or district attorney that has, you know, their, their policy platform is, you know, tough on crime. They're going to find the one or two stories that are going to prove their point and use those families and use those victims as pawns in their continued power play instead of going to the community as a whole and saying, what do you need? And the more, honestly, I didn't even realize how prevalent this was until we started interviewing victims. And they were like, hey, I don't want to mention any victims' rights groups that you know, might disagree with me because they'll, they'll gaslight me. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll dox me online. They're, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that they're going to do. Um, you know, and generally speaking, when you talk about communities, there, there's such a deep connection between victim and, and, you know, the individual that's accused, you know, I think Salim's episode is the perfect example. If you listen to Salim Holbrook, everybody that was in the courtroom, when he got during his trial, when he got sentenced, he knew whether they were there for the victim or there for him, they were, they all knew each other, you know? And so this cycle isn't broken by individuals that are wanting to continue to have power. And the, the sad part about it is we don't have a lot of regulation, you know, apparently, you know, well, government say it says that you can't invest in certain things when you're involved in certain things, but we know that's not the case. So we've got the people in power who are also invested in the continued incarceration of you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of people. 
And, you know, like Suave said, these, these companies are now on the, on the stock exchange. You can go invest money in, you know, the companies that bring snacks and commissary and, um, you know, phone. And I mean, this is all, you know, and more and more states like California, San Francisco, especially is making it um, illegal to price gouge. Um, you know, because what happens is it's, it basically separates individuals that are incarcerated and gives them no chance when they get out to reconnect with their communities. Cause say that I can't afford a phone call that like in California, I have a, a guy that I talked to on death row here. It costs me two cents a minute, but if somebody from Virginia costs me, calls me, it costs me $2, $2 a minute to talk to them. That's insane. Who can afford that? You know, I mean, I do it pay the money for people to call me because they need to have somebody to call. And Suave and I talk about this all the time. It doesn't matter if it's not convenient. I pick up the phone when somebody calls me from prison. I know when it's a Houston number that that's through the, the, the account that I have. And I give people my phone number if they need to talk, because I might be the only person they talk to this month, whether it's because of lockdown in the prison, their family doesn't want to talk to them. They're cut off for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. And I, I don't, I'm not doing it because I'm a saint either. I got my own problems. I got my own issues. I'm doing it because I know what it feels like to be disconnected. And the thing that saves people is not, it's not a, it's not a magic formula. It's community. How are we going to engage people while they're incarcer incarcerated and when they come out, when, do, when they're returning to their homes, to their communities, what are we doing to make them feel like they're welcome? I know what Suave is doing. He tells me. He doesn't go around and brag about this stuff. He does the same thing I do. He picks up the phone. When somebody needs to talk and when they get out, if they call him and they don't always call, believe me, they're off and running. Some of them, they want to go do their own thing. He'll take it. He's got a store that he, that he is friends with the owner and he goes and gets them a couple, couple sets of clothes, make sure they got hygiene stuff, make sure that they got a cell phone so that, you know, and this is stuff that we, that we unfortunately have to do out of pocket because there's not support services for this stuff. I mean, this is stuff that I do because I understand coming home, you know, and not having anything. You know, you could be the most popular guy in the prison. I was in the jail. I ran an organization. I had 350 guys that if I told them move, they move in. If I told them we ain't eating, we ain't eating. And that's the truth. I've ran the organization for 20 years in there. Right. But what I found out was that that add up to shit when you come home. When I came home, I felt anxiety. I felt like I was being re-traumatized all over again. And I'll tell you why. Because I didn't know where I was going to sleep, where I was going to get my next meal, whether I, I'm going to get a job. I didn't even know how to get on the bus. I got on the bus and, lost, and got lost. I had to call my parole agent like, yo, I'm lost. So when dudes come home, they call me. You know, I try to do my best to get them acclimated, you know, settle in. You know, unfortunately, some of them just want everything. They get caught up with the with the with the glands and the lights and the Gucci's, Richassis, and whatever the call, whatever them labels are. And you know what I tell them? How much money you came home with? Oh, I ain't got no money. So guess what? You're going to form with meals. You ain't got Gucci money. It's like having beer money but you want wine no you gotta go get get settled in first get a job now I always tell people when they tell me i'm not working for ten dollars you was working for 17 cents all these years you're not gonna work for for, for ten dollars twelve dollars is you crazy i got guys that do that i'm just telling Kev. not recently we offer a guy a job a peer specialty job i'm not working for 17 dollars you know what i told him Good, thank you. Bye. I see you next. You know, because if that's the attitude you come in here with, that attitude will take you back to prison. You know, because it goes both ways. We have people out here that really want to help, like me, Kevin, and a few other people. But I also tell the people, I know the game. You can't bullshit me. You know, if I give you, if I take you shopping with my own money, and I see you on Instagram flashing a lot of money. I want whatever I spend on you back. I'm going to go get that. Period. You're not going to play me for mines. You know, so to the brothers and sisters that's listening to this, 
or that's going to be listening to this, you know, come home, be humble, contribute back. You know, my only mission in life right now is to make sure that I put a dent in the prison system. And we do that by stopping people from going back to prison. You know, that's our responsibility. Those that's been in the inside, we hurt the pocket. Get a job. You don't, you don't need to be in prison. Get a job. Let me hate that. This is why I do that. Because I get satisfaction for everyone that I see or call and they tell me, yo, I still have that job. Or I've been home three, four years. I ain't, I ain't, been, I ain't been back to prison. To me, that's a less, that's 50000 less that the system would get yearly for you. And if we could do that, multiply that by thousands in, in different states, the system will fill it. Sooner or later, they will start filling it. They will probably want to violate me and say, we need to get him out the way. But, but yeah, but to me, you know, it's like, I don't move in fear. I do not move in fear. You know, I believe on something, I'm standing on it because I understand from personal experience. And trust me, I had a lot of support when I came home, but I went to a halfway house. I didn't lean on nobody for, I needed an apartment. I did that on my own. I went and got a job. I, I'm telling kids, I was working for a state rep. And that, whatever, I'm not even going to curse. That motherfucker never gave me a token to get on the bus. So I walked like 30 blocks every morning, going and coming, to get to that office. Right? And, and it was just an internship. But you know why I did it? I did it because at the end of the internship, I knew that if I get clearance from the state legislative body in the state of Pennsylvania, there was no way in the world that a good job could turn me down because of my conviction. When I got certified and, and, and clearance to work for a state rep, that's why I did it. And people used to tell me, why don't you ask him for, for, for transportation? I'd be like, he know, he know where I'm at. He know where the halfway house at. Why should I have to ask you Mr. State Rep, I need transportation. You should want to do that. And at the end, at the end of my internship, he offered me a job and I turned it down. I turned it down. I said, I don't want to work for you. He said, why not? I said, because you ain't shit. I said, I don't want to work for nobody that I feel that I'm small. I'm smarter than you. I said, every time I talk to him about criminal justice issue, he used to repeat the same thing to people. And I'm just looking at him like, dude, you're just repeating what I'm telling you. You know, so at the end of that internship, I will offer an opportunity to run my own program. And that's what I did. I was the second director of my own program. You know, but that shows that it's hard. You know, in prison, you could be the guy. You could be that guy that runs the cell block. But out here, ain't nobody paying you no mind. Nobody paying you no mind. It's about surviving. And if you don't know how to survive, if you don't know how to get it, if you don't bring that gorilla mentality, that hustler mentality, when you come home, that you're not going to be a failure, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You know, there's been time when I felt that way. Like, damn, where I'm going to get my next, my next check to pay my rent. But then that little guy in my head keep telling me, man, you're a hustler. You know, I can paint real good. I just paint a picture, sell it. Hustle. You know, there's different ways, different levels to this game. You know, but at the end, I know that I'm not going to let the system win. Because if I reoffend and end up in handcuffs again, I'm not only letting uh, 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 myself down, I'm letting the whole community down. People that depend on us. You know, we're building up an audience of people that depend on what we say. You know, Death by Incarceration podcast has so many people that they text us, they call us like, yo, I need you to talk about my case, or I need you to talk about my son, or I need you to talk about this. So now we have a social responsibility to people out there to bring information that's going to open their mind and hopefully change their way of thinking or maybe get involved in this activism and help us put a dent in the system. So there's no room, there's no room for failure for me. 
I think that that's what really comes across in each episode of Death by Incarceration is that there's so many layers to it. There's you're educating people about the system, you're warning people about the system, you're bringing guests on that can actually change the system, and beyond the show itself, you're doing things in the community to to help the community and to improve the community. So it's not just like the show Death by Incarceration. It's it's the mission. It's the movement, and it's it comes through in every single episode. Um, and I want to touch on real quick, the uh, live event that you're, you're having in um, Philadelphia on July 17th is, um, is our tickets available? How is the show going to play out and where can people go for more information on that? I mean, we will have that in the, like in, in another week or so we will have where you can get the tickets, but I will tell you, it's going to be epic. It's in Philly and, um, what we trying to do is separate ourselves. You know, I don't think people understand what it means to be on a network. People just think that we just grab the mic and we just talking. But when they go on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcast and they start listening, they'll be like, oh, I didn't know y'all had that reach. Yes, we have a reach. We have a network behind us that's giving us like room to breathe. Because a lot of people, I don't know if I was the owner of a network, I would give Kevin that much room to breathe. I really don't. Or <laughs> swab it. I really don't. Release the McCracken. Yes, I mean, exactly. I mean, because because I say this, that we are lucky that we think alike, me and Kat, because we able yeah. to sit up to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and say, you know what? Let's, think, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it that way. Let's think outside the box. And I think that this live event would bring a different demographic than what we got because a lot of our listeners are people that never heard podcasts before, believe it or not. We got a lot of people in North Philly that they don't tune into podcasts, but they tune into us now. One thing I want to ask you about is your logo and your art. I know in the first official episode, you spoke about art and can you tell us a little bit about that and how you've created art inside prison and what that meant to you? I've been painting for almost 25 years, 26. And the reason I created art, because in the state of Pennsylvania, the, the prison system banned the media from coming in. They had this show called Behind, Behind the Music. And we had a rock band. <laughs> My buddies had a rock band and they were so fucking good that they end up on that show behind the music, music behind bars, something like that. And in the audience, they showed this one guy and the victim's family saw him. And they created a firestorm. You know, they contacted VH1. So that, you know, anytime something go wrong, the DOC, they always blame the prisoners. So they decided no more music, no more media at all. The only thing that we could do was art. Because the jail wasn't hit to what we was doing with the art. What, what me and a couple of guys was doing, we used to uh, ask permission to hold these art shows in the auditorium. And sometimes the guards would come down and purchase your art. But for us, it wasn't about selling. It was about getting the art show and whatever didn't sell, pack it up and send it out to the streets. That's the only way we could have it because you can't accumulate a bunch of art in the cell. But the shows took off and we went from having five people come down to having hundreds of staff coming down and buying the art. So now it gives us a chance to really demand. So I started writing people in Philadelphia and we contacted the Mural Arts in Philadelphia and we tell them, listen, you should come up here we got wonderful artists. We all lifers, you know, and you don't really have to pay much to get us to do a mural. We would do that for free. You know, the green, the red light went up on somebody. Green light, red light, yellow light. They was like, oh my God, I could get free labor out of, out of prison? That's exactly what they thought. One thing led to another, the mural arts of Philadelphia. We bought them in the jail. They like the idea. We created one mural. And then I had the idea, like, what about if we create a mural um, telling the prisoner's story, you know, our pain and struggle? And that created like a firestorm because now the victim's advocate was like, what about us? 
you know, y'all telling y'all story, but our pain. So what we did, we ended up doing two murals, one from the victim perspective and one from the combat perspective. And we put them up at North Philadelphia um, in the same neighborhood, side by side. Those was the first two murals done in Philadelphia outside of city limit. We painted on this thing called Parachute Claw. And from there, we created the restorative justice program with the mural arts where we raised millions of dollars. I say it again, where we raised millions of dollars, right? 16 lifers. And what they did, what they was doing, there was um, getting grant money, criminal initiative grants. Um, that if one of us in the, in the group come out, they would give us a job. Well, guess what? We 17 lifers, nobody's coming home. You know, so that's another show. What happened to that to that money? It's another show. But we created 52 murals for the city of Philadelphia. And um, and we're talking about full-blown murals. We work with Shepard Ferry, Spoon. We work with, like, top-nine artists. We met, like, Supreme Court Justice from Africa, L.B. Snipe. We we met actors, movie, movie um, um, producers, singers. They all came to the prison because they couldn't believe that this work was coming out of prison. But in my personal life, you know, the mission was always to get my work out, our work out. You know, the price we paid, we had to do these murals. You know, so I just started creating and sending work out and, and, and creating. And I always knew that in prison, you have to learn how to paint by yourself there's no machine there's no computers there's no help you either know how to draw or you don't you can either paint or you don't so you know i just kept that when i came home i said you know what i'm gonna keep painting because a job is not always promising in philadelphia and i got two degrees but it don't matter you know i'm a convict i got that got that felony in my bracket but my art is what kept me afloat and I say this through the pandemic, I became one of the top selling artists in Morton Contemporary Art Gallery throughout the pandemic. Like I'm, I'm selling like three, four pieces a month. You know, and to sell three, four pieces a month in a gallery in a pandemic, that's a lot. That's big. And to be represented by a respectable gallery. You know, it's big. Morton Contemporary, uh, the family owns Morton Steakhouse, the Hard Rock Cafes. These are the people that own that gallery, right? And yeah, the logo came about, that logo is Jimi Hendrix. A lot of people may not know, that's Jimi Hendrix. And that was the picture that I took to the gallery. And for some reason, for some reason, I was like, I want that picture back. I don't want to sell it. It was something about it that, like, I want it back. I don't want to sell it. I didn't know what I was going to use it for, but I said, I want it back. I don't, I don't want to sell it. And they was like, what? I was like, I don't want to sell it. Like, the pictures that you see on the logo, those are personal pictures that I would never sell because they were created inside. And they were created in the prison that got shut down in 2018. So to me, it's like a lot of the work that I had, that I've made in prison, would never get sold. Unless you give me a million and up. <laughs> Other than that, it's not gonna get so. So that's how I started. You know, art art been a survival skill for me in prison. And it's been a survival skill out here because it's it, it, it allowed me to live a pretty much good life. That's amazing. And I, I had a vision while you were saying all this of a packed house, probably two thousand people in a convention center, the stage is lit, your artwork is up there, and you're there with Kevin and a guest, and you're at CrimeCon Las Vegas next year. Are you going to CrimeCon in Las Vegas next year? Yes, absolutely. We're there. I wanted to go this year, but we was new. We the new kids on the block. Hell yeah. I think that the more we put ourselves out there, like, the better we get. Like, People don't understand, like, I'm not only a podcaster that talks shit behind the mic. I could really paint. I could really write. I got six books published, you know, uh, myself. Uh, 
I've done plenty of philanthropy work in Philadelphia, raised plenty of money. I just did an art project with the um, Giffer Foundation where it is to um, gun violence. This was recently, you know, so I do a lot of that. So, yeah, I think that next year it's going to be super dope for those that want to see what's behind death by incarceration. Y'all need to come out and check it out. For sure. And I feel like you'll break uh, CrimeCon after after you go there. I think they'll just be broken. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're they'll, that'll, that'll be them peaking. Um, your your artwork is gorgeous. The show is amazing. And what what do you have coming up um, for for episodes? You've we're only on episode three right now. And if anyone's listening and you haven't listened to it, go back listen to the first the first three and the bonus episodes. Oh yeah, and the bonus episodes as well. Uh, those are those are super interesting. Swami I mean, on the streets, amazing. Coming up, we have Chester Bodine on tomorrow. Then we have Eric Reddick, an innocent person that spent thirty years in prison and was forced to plead no context to get out of jail. You know, we got him next week. We got um, Kimberly Woodson from Detroit, the first juvenile life of female that got released, working out there with victims. We got Jody Kemp from the Fair Sentencing Campaign. We got John Fetterman coming up. I mean, we got so many people that the list might change. It, it, seriously, it might change because we're getting requests from these people that you would never think listening to our podcast. And I always ask them, oh, why is you listening to our podcast? You know, and the same response keep coming up because y'all keep it real. That is a testament to the importance of the work we're doing. When you have people like Krasner, Frederman, Chester Bodine, Nicole Flitwood, Jody Camp, these are people that don't have to talk to us. These are people that can pick up the phone and get on NBC, CBS easily. But yet they're ready to talk to us because they can keep it honest and don't have to watch what they say versus I'm on NBC and I got to follow a script. And that's why I keep saying Death by incarceration is not your typical podcast. We're doing things different. And we hope that people subscribe, rate, go on Apple, Spotify, but go on Apple. I'm ready to go on Apple. We need, we need that rating and rate it. And to cross space, it's, it's almost like how dare you give these two guys that opportunity? You know, and if anybody ever say that, what I would say is, why not? This is what America really looked like. When you talk about diversifying, this is what it looked like. You know, who would have thought 10 years ago that a Puerto Rican guy from New York, via Philadelphia, is going to meet up with this guy from San Francisco, white guy, and do a podcast that got plenty of people talking about? I would have thought that. I can't even imagine that four years ago, I would. I was still in prison, that I would be interviewing uh, 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 a lieutenant governor of a state. I can't even imagine that. You know, when you start thinking about it, it's like, what? And to me, it's like, why not? Why not? You know, you have to believe. You have to own it. I own it. I own this shit. And when I mean I own it, I believe what I'm doing, and I own it. And I don't care who tell me, well... Y'all ain't make the, y'all not in the charts yet. I said, I don't need to be in the charts. If it don't come with a check, I don't want to be nowhere, right? I said, guess what? I'm not in the charts, but I'm in your tablet because you're talking about it. And if you're talking to me about it, that means you probably spread that shit around 88 times because in marketing, it tells you you only take one person to spread it around 88 times. So for every person they tap in, I'm happy. I'm happy. For every person they write us and tell us thank you, I didn't know, I didn't know that information. I'm happy. For every person they tell me, I didn't know that I could just shut the fuck up when the police ask me a question. Yeah, I tell the people, most people end up in prison because they don't know how to shut up. You have the right to remain silence. All you have to do is say, I want an attorney, I don't want to talk to you. But when you start talking and talking and talking and thinking you're going to talk your way out of a problem, 
you went in jail for a long time. And we see that with these wrongful conviction. And this is why we trying to tell people on death by incarceration, shut the hell up and listen to the information. Period. Just shut up. Don't talk to the police. If you are in any type of trouble, don't talk to the police. If you are a brown person, a black man, and you and they stopping you, don't get aggressive. I'm telling you because my brother's a cop. Stop getting aggressive. Stop acting like you're gonna fight somebody. If you ain't do shit, chairs on the wheel, and like, yo, listen, oh, what you need me to do? You know, other than that, if you have a story to tell, contact us. We will give you a space to tell your story. We will respect your space, but there's some rules and boundaries. Don't come to us with the BS because we're going to call you out on it. You know, if it's a story worth telling, we're going to offer you a space. And that's what Death by Incarceration is, you know, on the Cross Space Network. Tune in every Tuesday. Don't miss it. <laughs>